0: appreciate that. Thank you. Many of you looking at the screen right now. You're saying, hey, I thought that was done. thought we were done that series. We're never done. <laughs> we're, we're done when my my mind and heart say we're done. <laughs> and the Lord gives me that freedom. But basically, I was thinking about this. And I thought, you know what? I think I need to hit this particular message uh, in relation to fiery darts. During the... Um, The last few weeks, I've actually uh, referred to this passage probably several times, uh, because it is such a great part of of the failure of many Christians that have a wounded heart. You know, we wouldn't have such a problem if there wouldn't be a devil shooting darts at us, amen? Amen? Uh, I I wonder what it's going to be like for sinners during the millennial reign. Uh, the devil's going to be in the bottomless pit, amen. And that means that he's gonna, not going to be able to shoot darts anymore. But we do know that there's still going to be the flesh, and people are going to battle with the flesh. But I think it's just going to be just foolishness, is what I think. I think people are just going to become lazy, they'll become complacent, but they won't have those darts the way that they have them today. And that's going to be an interesting time. But I know for now, we're just going to have to deal with this. In the millennial reign, we're not going to have to deal with it anyways, no matter what, because we're going to be in our glorified bodies. Amen. But right now, there is a battle. And that battle is waged upon the world by the devil. And uh, we as Christians that have escaped uh, Satan's hold are now left in the middle between the lost and Satan's attack. And he knows that if he can take our influence and our effectiveness, that he can hold on to a lot more of those souls than, uh, than he could if we were to be effective. And so that's why he shoots darts at us. He doesn't want us to, ha- to influence people. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. There's nothing he can do about that. He's lost you. Amen? But he sure can steal your testimony. He can sure make your testimony useless. And he can take away your personal effectiveness and use you, actually, sometimes even as a tool in his hands to cause damage against the work of God. And that's uh, you got to be very careful of stuff like that because you will not get away with that. Amen? Amen. Uh, we've got a God that uh, he says uh, why should that judgment should begin at the house of God. If, if he's going to judge this world and the wickedness of this world, he says, then don't you think that my judgment would begin at the house of God, with my children, I will deal with sin. I will deal with problems. I will deal with these things that we seem that uh, we, we don't want to get rid of. Amen? But uh, we, he's also given us instruction so that we don't have to deal with that kind of thing. Now, the devil has weapons. Satan has weapons. And the Bible calls them darts or arrows. And that's the, the metaphorical... Uh, uh, description that the lord wants us to use there that it's a dart coming out of his bow and it hits your mind and when it hits your mind it's a fiery dart and it wants to engulf your thinking so you got to be very careful if you find yourself getting obsessive about a certain thought that probably is because you have become a victim of a fiery dart amen where you just can't let go of that thinking process that's the fire that's taken your mind now, you can blame everybody else for it, but it's your fault. You can, the, you can put up the defense if you want it. It's not everybody else. And all you're doing is hurting yourself by blaming others. Amen? You've got to take responsibility for it. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. I'm going to read this to you. This is a key passage here. Verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That means it's not going to be your willpower or your abilities the way you're going to win this battle. It's not going to be because, well, I really know how to take control. It has nothing to do with you. If you want to win this battle, you've got you to get a hold of the power of God. He's the way that you're going to overcome these arrows. Not because you're so smart or you're so wise or you're this, that, or the other. It's because of God. He's the reason why you have victory. Amen? And it goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. What that means is, is that your battle is not with the person sitting next to you. Your battle is not with your wife or your husband. Your battle is not with your uncle or your aunt, your grandma or your grandpa. It's not with your kids. It's not with anybody like that. There is a spiritual battle that's been waged, and the greatest thing that the devil can do is make you think that the battle's with people instead of with him. Amen? Because if you're battling people, he knows that you're not battling him. Yeah. And if you're not battling him, he can basically do what he wants in your life and make a real mess of you. Amen? So when you got people on your mind, and that's the reason why you think things are going wrong, you are absolutely wrong. It has nothing to do with people. It has to do with the devil. It has to do with what he's trying to do in destroying your life. Don't let them take you down. Amen? we got to stand. And that's why it says here in the next verse, it says, "...wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." You say, well, things are going pretty good for me, preacher. I mean, I don't feel too many battles. That's why it says you're supposed to take the whole armor of God unto you that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That means it may not be today. It may not even be tomorrow. But what I'll tell you something is there is a day where he's going to yell charge and you better be ready for that charge. Amen. Amen. There is an attack on your life, and no matter how great things are going for you, there is always an evil day. There's always a day where the, where the devil is trying to inflict damage on you and on your family. And he's very strategic. He's very patient that way. And he's going to work it out at the right time. He's going to unleash these arrows on your life. And so you better make sure that you got your your armor on for that time. You don't put your armor on when when the arrows fly. You put your armor on before the arrows fly. Amen. And that's why he's telling us that in this passage. It goes on to say, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And I will go through these at some point and and explain all of these. And it says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. How many fiery darts can you quench? Every last one of them. That means if there's a fiery dart that has taken advantage of your life, it's because you have allowed it to do so. It's your responsibility because the Lord told you that you could quench them all. Amen? So don't be thrown around and saying, well, yeah, poor me. No, no, no. He gave you the promise that all of them could be quenched. And so you've got to claim that promise. And when they come, you need to learn how to discipline your mind and put out those fires when, when that arrow hits amen deflect them with the shield of faith of course we know the scripture that we used uh, for the last few weeks was second corinthians 10 verse number five because the battle that we have is about the mind it says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of god and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of christ casting down imaginations computing computing Oh, we sit there and we compute. Something happens or somebody says something. We know what happened. We know the the situation behind that. We understand what's in that heart. You know nothing. Those are imaginations. And every imagination in your heart ought to be cast down. Don't ever think that you know what another man or another woman is thinking because you don't have a clue. Well, this is what happened. Do you know that for a fact? If, If you don't, just cast it down. Cast it down. The devil's trying to set you on fire. He's trying to make you jealous. He's trying to make you bitter. He's trying to make you angry. He's trying to get you all riled up against everybody in your life. And here you are because you don't understand that the battle is against the devil. You're hating all the people around you. And you are being taken advantage of by the one that the Lord warned you about. But we have become so foolish today, we forget what the Lord has said. So we need to be reminded over and over and over again, our battle is not with mom and dad. Our battle is not with our neighbor. Our battle is not with a person sitting in the pew next to you. You go home and start cutting people up. I'm sorry, you are fighting the wrong battle. You are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. Amen? It's you and him. (laughs) The prince of the power of the air. The one that is inflicting you and afflicting you over and over and over again and trying to get you to fail so you will lose your influence. Amen? He wants you to mess up your family's life. He wants you to turn away your coworker from the Lord. He wants you to turn away people that you go to town with and you get mad because you, for some reason the price is off or maybe they think they're ripping you off or maybe they are ripping you off. Hey, I'll tell you something. You gotta be careful because you're supposed to win that thief. Amen? You're not justified. But when you start thinking your battles with man, you start losing big time. Big time. You start losing your influence. You start losing your life, your purpose. The thing that God sent you for in the first place. What are we doing? Buying time till Jesus comes again? <laughs> or are we here for a reason? Amen? There's a reason why the Lord Jesus hung on that cross and he didn't curse out everybody around them. He said, I'm giving you an example. You ought to follow my steps. This is what the world will do to you. But I'll tell you, if you handle this right, you'll also save the world through that suffering. You understand that? Be careful how you react. Be careful how you respond to the battles of life. So there are some darts that are very prominent in believers' lives. And one of those, I believe, very uh, is it, very common with us, is the dart of discouragement, the dart of discouragement. You know, there was a former heavyweight boxer, his name was James Quick, uh, Tillis, so that his nickname is Quick and his last name was Tillis, is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa. This is what he was saying. I got off the bus with my two cardboard suitcases under my my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put the suitcases down. I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, my suitcases were gone. That's what life is. Oh, here I just made a decision to conquer Chicago. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I'm going home. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) That's what the devil will do to you. Right when you think you're on top and everything's going good and you're going to charge hell with a squirt gun, he's going to come along and steal your luggage. Right under your nose. That's where discouragement comes from. Numbers 21 verse 4, it says this, And they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Because of the way. Have you ever been discouraged because something didn't turn out the way you wanted it? Maybe things have gotten hard and you're discouraged. You're in this walk of life and you thought you've been doing what God wants you to do, but now for some reason everything's going backwards and it's hard and it's difficult. You know what? That's where, that's where Israel was. Israel was taken from Egypt and the Lord saved them from Egypt and he sent them on this journey. Now, his journey wasn't to destroy them, his journey was to bring them to a better place, to a place of blessing that he could uh, bring them to a land, the promised land, a land of milk and honey. Amen. But here they are standing in front of the Sears tower. (laughs) They look down and their luggage is gone. Here they thought everything's going to be so great, but you know what? Look how hard it is. (laughs) We're just wandering around here in the wilderness and we don't know where, what's going to happen here. Where's the water? Where's this? Where's that? Not realizing that God's eyes were over them the whole time. They were much discouraged because of the way. The devil's going to cause you to think it's too hard. It's too demanding. Life is too demanding, too much responsibility. We live in a day and age where young people, they're not going out and taking on the world. They're not going out there and, and being responsible and standing up and being men and, and leading families and, and, and doing things the right way. They're hiding. They're hiding in basements and they're hiding at home and they don't want to go out there. I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to take accountability upon myself. I just want to hide here because they're too discouraged because of this world. How many parents have I talked to that said, you know what, we're just not going to have kids because I just can't imagine bringing kids into this world. They are discouraged. Yeah. You're discouraged. <laughs> and that's not the right way to think. The Bible said right from the beginning, be ye fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's a command, the, actually the first one of the first commands given in the scripture, uh, even before the fall of man, Two man is to be fruitful and multiply. And you know what? The devil's been fighting that ever since. And he's playing in the minds of believers that way. Think about that. Now, he doesn't just say multiply. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't about just filling up the earth. This is about filling up the earth with godly young people. Yeah, amen. People that are righteous and following the Lord. This is about righteous seed being multiplied. Amen. Just like I say, it's not about, just about planting churches. It's not just about putting churches here and there. This is about being, having fruitful churches. It's about churches that are doing right and following the word of God and, and doing what God says they're supposed to do, and the Lord can bless it and make it fruitful and make a difference in people's lives. Amen. Well, we live in a day and age where it doesn't matter if it's fruitful. We just want to mark it off on our little belt there and say, "Oh, we planted another, one planted, another, one planted, another one plant." It's not about multiplying as much as about being fruitful. Amen. We got to be careful of this discouragement. We grow weary. We grow weary with the rules. There's rules. We get mad at the church. There's too many rules. <laughs> you know, the policies. Folks, those policies are just to keep things right. Keep things clean and pure. Amen. Amen. They're good for us. And by the way, if we're walking with the Lord, those policies and those rules don't mean anything to us. It's not a big deal. Those that walk in the Spirit don't worry about the law. (laughs) If we're all worried about the law, it's because we're not walking with God. Amen? Discouragement is a feeling of things being too hard or overwhelming. Things were too hard for Israel. They became discouraged because the way God chose for them to follow. Now, have you ever said to God, Lord, take my life and guide me? Have you said, Lord, I just want to do right. Would you please just make sure I get to the right place? And I'm not sure exactly where that is. You know me, Lord, I'm weak. I can't make all the right decisions. I don't know everything. I don't know the future, but Lord, I just want to do the right thing. And you've gone before the Lord and you said, Lord, help help me just to go forward and guide me in that. Have you ever said that? Then after that, have you ever gone into something that was hard? Do you think that maybe you've asked God to guide you and he brought you into something hard? Why are you discouraged? Why do you want to quit? We're not saying God guide me into the way you want me to go. You're saying God guide me into the place that I want to go. Amen? Guide me into the easy road. The way that's going to be easy on me. Where I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear about anything amen lord says i this only goes two ways you do it your way or we do it my way and if you've ever given your life to the lord and you want him to guide you then don't cry about it when he brings you into the trial that's what he wants for you guess what it's going to be good for you what yes (laughs) it'll be good for you (laughs) In fact, one day, maybe not today, maybe not next week, but one day you look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Well, I just can't imagine. Well, that's the way it is for us. (laughs) Amen. We can't imagine. (laughs) William Ward said, Discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust of the future. It is ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifference to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. It is an unawareness of the presence of beauty, unconcern for the needs of our fellow man, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness to God. That's discouragement. Oh, we need to trust God. We say we do, but when we get discouraged, we're showing we don't. We're not trusting him in the way. We don't believe he's bringing us to a better place. We think he's just here to destroy us, a big bully. Make everything everything good for me, God. Make it easy. (laughs) He says, that's not my way for you. My way is the way of the cross. The way of the cross leads home. You understand that? Jesus could have gone straight to the throne too. Why didn't he go straight to the throne? He went straight to the cross. There's the cross before the throne. Do you understand that? <laughs> I want the crown of thorn, crown, crown of gold on my head, preacher. I want that, that reward from Christ. Do you understand you got to have the crown of thorns before the crown of gold. Yeah, yeah. Most people they don't want the crown of thorns. They don't want to suffer. They don't want to go through hard things. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's the way to blessing. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads to blessing. The way of the cross leads to strength. It leads to you being usable for God's glory. Amen? They complained about it. Now, we don't complain. There ain't no independent Baptist that complains about the way of God. I couldn't imagine that. Preachers preaching every week and word of God being brought forth and power. And we go home and start complaining. My goodness, what heretics we must be. We're not like that. Amen? We're not like that whether we would just take the message that God just gave us in the morning and throw it back in his face in the afternoon. Not good, Baptists. They complained about God's way. In Numbers 21, verse 5, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's neither any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. This is the light bread that God gave them every day from heaven, God's provision, but their soul began to loathe it. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Now they tempted Christ. We see the evaluation of this in the new testament first corinthians 10 verse number nine it says neither let us tempt christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents what, is, what does it mean to tempt christ well it's exactly what i've been saying here god set us forward he's the one that devised the plan he's the one that put us on the path And then we go back and say, I don't like this, God. Uh, I'm complaining about it. I don't like what you've chosen for me. That is putting God to the test. Now, sometimes as children, children do that to us. Amen. They put us to the test. You choose something for them. And then they come back and you say, Dad, I really think you need to let me do this. they keep poking and poking and poking. And you're looking at them and you say, oh, watch out, boy. And they poke and they poke and they poke because they, they want to they, they see if they can change dad's mind. That's what they want to do. Amen. They're putting dad to the test. It doesn't take long and dad just says, okay, son, is this the way you want to go? And they poke again. One last little poke. Amen. Well, guess what happens next? Amen. <laughs> do I need to get into detail? Something better happen. Yeah. Because if something doesn't happen there, then you're not a very good picture of God in their life. You've got to be that. That's where they learn it. That's where they learn they don't put God to the test, is when they don't put dad to the test. <laughs> Amen. The dad's gonna roll over every time uh, the kids cry. That's what they're teaching that God does too. you got to remember something. Your, your discipline today is going to keep them from the fiery serpents tomorrow. Now, if you don't love your kids, that's fine. That's why the Bible says if you don't chasten them with a rod, it says you don't love your children. You hate them, that's what it says. If you don't love them, well, then it's obvious. But if you love them, what you're going to do is you're going to discipline them because you know your discipline is nothing compared to the hand of God coming down upon them. Like this day when Israel began to tempt Christ and complain about the way is too hard. The way that God chose for you is too hard. So I don't want to do this. I don't want to go forward. And God says, I'm going to send fiery serpents among you. Why would you want your children to go through that? That's why we discipline them. That's why we teach them when they're young. You know that God doesn't send fiery serpents while you're the boss in the home. Do you understand that? Parents, think about this for one second. God delegated the discipline of your children to you in the home. And God isn't just gonna bypass that. But the moment your children are out of the home, then God says, now it's my turn you understand that. Until that point, you have become the one that is supposed to be in God's place. Now, if you neglect that part in your life, you are taking your children and you're throwing them out there not prepared for what's going to come. And it's going to hurt them. And they'll have to learn everything the hard way instead of the easy way. Amen. It's so important that we take up our responsibility as parents in our homes. So important. They tempted and judgment came upon them. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. In verse number 10, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Murmured. Well, murmur. Everybody murmurs. <laughs> it would, murmur was enough to send a destroyer. God says, you're murmuring? What's a murmur? You know what a murmur is? It's not a big cry. It's not a big cry of rebellion. It's not a big scream. A murmur is when they went back to their tent. They started talking to each other. They said, yeah, who does he think he is? That's murmuring. It's under your breath. He destroyed people for murmuring. Under the breath. Not the cry of rebellion against God. Not the antichrist saying, in your face, God. Not Nimrod saying, hey, I'm the king around here. This is just someone going to their tent under their breath, murmuring about how they don't like the way that God has chosen to do things in their life. That's pretty serious stuff. (laughs) But you know what? We don't need to give ourselves to that. We can overcome that. Number two, the second dart of offense is, is the dart of offense, or the second dart is the dart of offense. Offenses is one of the (laughs) toughest things as a pastor to deal with in a church. People are constantly being offended. Offended, 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 offended. That person said this, oh, they don't like that, and they don't let me do this. (laughs) Offenses, offenses, offenses. (laughs) Amen? Amen. It's hard to deal, it's almost impossible for a person outside of the situation to deal with an offense. It's a personal choice. When you become offended, the Bible says it's harder to win an offended person than to win a walled city. That's a situation I get put into as a pastor, as anybody that's in spiritual leadership. They get put in that all the time. And now I'm supposed to deal with this person, they're supposed to get them right, but they're like a walled city now, man, I'm going to have to go into training for the next two years to, be open, to raise an army to get into this person's offense. Amen? Almost impossible. They usually end up leaving the church if they don't deal with their own offense. You have to deal with your offense. And it's not the other person. They may have said something to you. They may have been wrong to you. They may have called you a name. Whatever they did, the offense is your sin. Do you understand that? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them? Yeah. How many things should offend a Bible lover? Not one thing. So, if I'm offended, it is my responsibility to deal with my offense. It's not getting other people right, it's not if that person doesn't get right, I'm going to continue to be offended. You deal with your offense because it is sin. Amen? Offended. (laughs) I'll tell you, if Christians would do this, our churches would be on fire for God. Because when people get offended, how do we fix it? How do you fix it? (laughs) Preacher, I'm offended. And you know what? I will try, and you know what's going to walk? They're going to walk away offended. They're going to stack on over and over and over Everything I say onto that offense, and they're going to twist it to mean what they want it to mean to add to the offense. You cannot win. It's a walled city. (laughs) And it's sad because you look at them and say, I'm sorry to lose them, but they're probably going to leave. Think about it, folks. The dart of offense. Be careful of taking up offenses. Be careful about taking up your offenses, but never take up somebody else's offense. Do you understand that? Well, I know this person, they got hurt. and (laughs) The grace for you is far less to get right than the person that was offended in the first place. In fact, that person will get right and they'll say, yeah, I should have not gone. Let it get to me like that. And they got right with God and here you are, the one that carried someone else's offense and you're still carrying it. (coughs) Yet it doesn't even exist anymore. No grace (laughs) until you humble yourself. And that's a great humility that needs to take place. And most of our pride doesn't (laughs) let us do that. Amen. Our pride is a wicked thing. It keeps us locked up in our offenses until Jesus comes. And then we're going to say, oh, I should have dealt with this. Yes, you should have. Humble. Humble. He resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. The third dart is a dart of worry or fear. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Growing up, We have all kinds of things that we become afraid of because we don't know how to process. Most kids are afraid of the dark. Amen. Most kids don't let their leg hang over the bed. I kind of like that. I always hang my leg over the bed. (laughs) I'm not scared of the boogeyman anymore. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) He hasn't got me yet. It's a lot of years I've been free of that. If we allow our imagination to run wild, we'll begin to think that things are not true and that's when Satan throws his darts. Fear of failing, fear of loneliness, worry about finances. All these different things are just a way that Satan can get into your life and fire that dart at you. Well, I'll tell you something, it'll steal the effectiveness of God right away from your life. I remember one time, there was, right when we planted this church, there was a lady and her children, and she knew that she needed to get her children into the church, but she was so afraid to come to church, because she was scared she was going to get hurt by a church, that she just wouldn't come. Well, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, like to me, it's just like, well, you just got to come and, <laughs> and make the evaluation and if we're bad people, <laughs> you leave, you know? But so afraid to take the step, they never take the step. Boy, the devil can steal people, steal them. What about our children, you know? Worry is faith in the negative. Trust in the unpleasant. Assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. A dense fog that covers a seven-city block area, 100 feet deep, is composed of less than one glass of water divided into 60,000 million drops. Not much there, but it can cripple an entire city. Think about that. Oh, that fog, it's just so bad. It's only a cup of water. Think about that. But that's how the devil plays with your head. He cripples you. When I don't have anything to worry about, then I begin to worry about that too. (laughs) Oh, I'm not worried about anything. Is that a problem? (laughs) Should I be worrying about something? Now I'm worrying about not worrying. People that worry will always worry about something. It's fear. It cripples you. And so the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a lack of peace. And I know I've dealt with people and, and people just are convinced that there's no way, no, sorry, I've been told that anxiety is something that you would just gotta be stuck with. And I've been labeled like this. So I just have to continue on to Jesus comes. Well, you can continue on the way you want, but you're not gonna get me to turn on my faith. And I'm sorry, I'm not gonna believe what you just said. You can get mad at me for it. You can bring out your psychology books and whatever you wanna do. But I believe that a child of God can live in peace. I don't believe you got to live in fear. I don't believe you got to have anxiety. I don't believe it. You can do it if you want, but don't mess with my faith, okay? I believe what the Bible says. Why am I the wrong one for telling you what the Bible says and you're the right one for telling me to turn against my God? But the world has deemed it so. Amen? It's my faith. Leave it alone. Leave me alone, man. I'm going to believe it, I'm going to preach it. You don't like it, you don't need to listen to it. But I'm going to tell you what thus saith the Lord, and that's going to be all you need to hear. You can accept it or throw it away, it's up to you. But you don't need to have an offense about it. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when I believe something is true, people can say what they want, it doesn't bother me a bit. They can tell me, oh, that Jesus, he's the Michael Archangel. (laughs) He's reincarnated as this, that, or the other. I'll look at them and say, oh, really? Bye bye. (laughs) Amen. Sorry. Guess what? Not offended. Why am I not offended? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I know the truth. The only reason you're being offended is you don't know the truth. You get that. When you know the truth, you don't get offended. If you're offended, it's because you yourself are shaky on the very thing that you say you believe. That's where offenses come from. Amen? You can't shake me on Jesus. <laughs> he's been my friend too long. You have a good friend and somebody convince you that he's something he's not. You say, man, I've known this guy for 30 years. Sorry, I don't believe you. You're not going to walk around and say, <laughs> you won't do that because that's stupid because you know who your friend is. You feel sorry for the guy. who say, sorry, you believe lies, man. I, I wish you'd believe the truth. <laughs> I'm not offended. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, founder of what is today is known as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, gave some pretty excellent advice. He says, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into God's hand. And then, when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. That's good advice. And I'll tell you something, the only thing you're worried about and anxious about is something that you have not put into the hands of God. That is the truth. That is the truth. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. Well, I don't got peace. Well, there's a, an element missing here. You just don't get the peace. You get the peace when you've lifted up the problem. And put it into the hands of the one that can deal with it. Then the Lord returns the peace. Amen. Don't walk around thinking you deserve the peace without giving it into the hands of God. But once you give it into the hands of God, you can expect the peace. Amen. That's why I say anybody that's worrying and fearing, it's because there's something in their life that they have not put into the hands of God. And that's something to evaluate. Amen. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. That is the truth. Say, preacher, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. You just complicated it with jargon, (laughs) you've complicated it with people trying to justify how it's okay to continue on in anxiety and fear. It's that simple to God. Believe me, and it'll be okay. If I believe him, and he said it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Amen. What peace. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, the Lord is before me, the Lord is beside me, the Lord is behind me, the Lord is underneath me, the Lord is above me. Amen. What a great God we have. Oh, if we would just take his promises true to heart. If we just look at him and say, you know what, this is true. His Bible is true. He is telling me, me personally. You know, for me, for a long time, it was like, uh, I, I was thinking, boy, you know, that preacher and that guy and that good Christian, boy, God really loves them a lot. He really cares about them. He's taking care of them all the time. But when I looked at myself, but he doesn't care about me. It's easy to believe in a God that cares and a God that's powerful and a God that is in charge of everything and he's sovereign, and he's providential and you don't got to worry about a thing. But it, the problem is, is to apply that to you personally. Because the devil's got you all messed up that somehow you just cannot access that. That's a lie of hell. In fact, it's pride when you look, look at it. What do you mean it's pride? I think bad of myself. Yeah, that's why it's pride. Humility isn't thinking just thinking bad of yourself. Humility isn't looking at yourself and saying, oh, well, I'm worse than everybody else. Humility is thinking right about yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself the way God thinks about you. And if you're not thinking about yourself the way God thinks about you, you're proud. Whether it's you think you're better than what God thinks about you or you think that you're worse than the way God thinks about you. Still pride. Amen? So we get on these trips. Oh, I'm all humble. (laughs) Well, that's yet to be seen. If you're so humble, you'll have a lot of grace to go through whatever God has brought your way. But if you lose control all the time, you're not humble. You're still trying to control everything in the flesh. (laughs) Amen? Pride. That's the issue. That's the devil's foundation in your life. That's his uh what he has planted in you and what's keeping you going into that despair all the time is that pride. That needs to be renounced. A good thing to do is just go before God and say, "Lord, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put all this stuff at your altar and I'm just going to let you know that I want to think about myself the way that you want me to think." I would say there's two things that you got to think about. You got to know in your Christian life the first one is, you never try to tell God who he is. You just let him tell you who he is. Amen? That's why people say, they say, oh, you believe in the Trinity. How can a God be three? blah. Well, this is the way I believe it. Because God said it. <laughs> if he said it, then I just believe it. And, and if my definition isn't fitting what God says, then my definition is wrong. But when you go to God with your definition say well god can only be one person well then of course three persons sounds ridiculous but if god has come to you and says i am three in one there are three that bear record in heaven the father the word and the holy ghost and these three are one now i've just found a new definition of what god is or who he is he is three in one (laughs) amen so don't go to God with your idea of who you think God ought to be. You let God tell you who he is and whatever he says is just the right thing, amen? That's step number one. If you can't do that, well, I'm sorry, you've lost the battle. <laughs> You're still trying to be God. You need to let that go. <laughs> the second one is this, that you ought to let God tell you who you are. Too many people, I hear it all the time, well, I'm like, you don't know who you are. Folks, I know this for a fact from my life. Even after I got saved, I didn't know who in the world I was. And I'm just learning. (laughs) I'm still learning to this day who I truly am in Christ. That's why most of our problems are identity problems. You got yourself all nailed down who you think you are. You're going to God. God help me because I'm like this. He's saying, if you would stop telling me who you think you are, I could maybe help you. You get that. I always tell people, you and your sinfulness and that shroud of sin that's hanging over your head and the wickedness that you've carried with you your whole life, that identity of a sinner that you have so uh, (laughs) engrafted into your very being... You are thinking wrong about yourself most of the time. What you need to understand is that after you get saved, there is a new man that has been created, and that new man, you don't even understand who he is. You don't even understand what he can do. You don't understand how he preaches, how he talks, how he serves God. You don't even understand the love that that new man has for God until you start getting out of the way, and you start letting that new man come up. We don't know who we are we got to let God tell us who we are. He will will give you what you need to break through that hard shell of sin. And you know what? When you come out of there, you say, man, I never knew I was like this. I know that for personal experience. I've had people mad at me because I tell them this truth. They are so labeled by this world that they do not let God tell them who they are. And I'm sick of it. And when it's not only enough now for us as adults, we're letting them do it to our kids. They're going through life locked down as to who they are, never allowing God to tell them who they truly are. You understand that? (laughs) you could take all that cycle babble and throw it into hell where it belongs. There's only one person or three persons that have the right to tell you who you are and that is God Almighty. Amen? Why don't you let him get in charge every now and then? Why don't you let him with his word try to tell you who he's made you to be? I tell you this many times that the first six days of creation... That was your old man. That is who you were made. (laughs) But that's not who a Christian is. A Christian was not made in the first six days of creation. We are a new creature in Christ. We are the only creation after the six days. That's how you can escape the destruction of everything that's going to be destroyed within that six days. Do you understand that? See if I'm still in Adam. I die. But in Christ. Shall all be made alive. The new creature. Amen. So what are you? Are you the first six days? Or are you this new creature that has Come into being. After the six days. My old man was the six days on the sixth day to tell you the truth when Adam was created but my new man I was created in Christ Jesus on a specific day I became born again and because now I'm a new creature in Christ I've escaped the destruction the curse of the original creation you get that? And if you think that a new creature after the sixth day can be cursed again, you are a sad individual. (laughs) You're a sad individual. Because that, my friend, is a creation of Christ himself. It cannot be condemned. cannot be sent to hell. Amen? You know what I just told you? I'm telling you a little bit about who you are. A lot of people didn't want to accept that. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to really work at it. (laughs) Really work at it. (laughs) There ain't enough work you can do to keep yourself saved. I tell people, man, I wasn't good enough to get saved, and I sure ain't good enough to stay saved. I'm sure glad he did the work for me. That's a part of my freedom. That's a part of the part of the bondage being the shackles being broken off is understanding the power, the position I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You need to start seeing yourself through God's eyes. Not through the psychologists. Not through the world. Don't look through their eyes. Please don't do that. You're going to keep yourself in bondage till Jesus comes. But you look through God's eyes, you're going to start seeing somebody very special. Someone that was purchased with the very blood of Christ himself. The value of the very son of God. That's what God looks at. He says, you are worth my son. When you start to, oh, I'm, not, I'm worthless. He's saying, why are you insulting me? If you're saying you're worthless, you're telling me my son is worthless. You get this? <laughs> Let God tell you who you are. And I'll tell you, it'll free you. It'll break that, that crust of sin above your head and your thoughts and the cloud that's keeping you from thinking right and you're going to start emerging out of that and that new person that you probably have never met, you're going to meet him. Amen? There was a day I thought, I would, I'm never going to be a preacher. Whoa. You're crazy. People come to me, oh, I think you're going to be a preacher. I said, no way, man. <laughs> I don't want that for anything. But you what they saw, they saw the new man peeking out. They saw him before I did. Many people did. In fact, even my wife saw him before I did. Because I was still too fixated on my old man. I was too fixated on what I couldn't do. That I couldn't see what other people were seeing in the new man coming forth. See, if I would have continued to focus on that old man, there's no way I would have got behind a pulpit. But the Lord began to crack it open. And I says, okay, this is what the new man does. See, this is what I was created to do. This is a part of my creation. It's not a career choice. It's a part of who I am. Amen. Not my old man. That was rock and roll man there. That old dude. <laughs> he was pretty well good for nothing. <laughs> Amen boy, the Lord can do some great things. Powerful, powerful, powerful. How he can take a piece of dirt and make it meaningful and make it useful and make it powerful for him to do some great things for for God's glory. Amen? What a great God we have. Folks, let God tell you who he is. Let God tell you who you are. And if you let him do those two things, your life will change. It's going to be profound, it's going to be powerful. it's going to be something you've never expected. It's going to come upon you and going say, "Lord, I can't believe that there's actually a purpose for my life." Amen. Your wounded hearts are keeping you from seeing it. That's why you need to get tasked. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I don't know how the Lord has used this, but I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to come before the Lord and deal with it. Maybe you just need to make a decision and say, Lord, I've been focusing on all my failure. I've been focusing on who I think I am. I'm done with this. I'm going to come before you tonight, Lord. I'm going to ask you with all respect, show me who you are. And please show me who I am. Let that new creature in me emerge. Let me be a part of something that I never thought I could do. Let God do that in your life. Are you discouraged? Discouragement is a dart that's keeping you from trusting God. It's messing up your past, your present, and your future. And you need to submit to the trial. That trial that you're facing, that thing that's causing you to be discouraged, you need to put that in the hand of God and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this, and I know I'm going to end up okay. You're going to make me better when I'm done. But I will not complain. I'm not going to murmur in my tent. I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to trust you. How about those offenses? I'm going to tell you something, there's nobody in the world that's going to take that offense away from you. Nothing's going to change that unless you repent. Maybe you need to do some seeking in the scripture because what you're doing is, if you're offended, you're making a decision on something that you're not sure about. Because you don't have a relationship.